Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Mark Daguerre continues our series on the letters of Paul to the church at Corinth. Today, looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And now, here's Mark. Good morning, everyone. You don't realize how tall someone is until you get by the microphone after they've used it. <laughs> so we live in unprecedented times. Can we all agree to that? Yeah. Things that uh, I would have never thought of, you know, like 10 years ago. People being triggered, right? People uh, getting very offended at things a Christian might say, right? So it seems like I have to wear the shirt now because people might get offended, right? So as a Christian, I'll tell you where you can buy these, okay? It says, warning, contains facts and opinions that some, <clears throat> that some may find offensive, okay? Because as Christians, we are going to be offensive when we say that there's only one way to God. <clears throat> Here, let's open up in prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing us to come together today to gather, Lord, to spend time together. As we think of the persecuted churches around the world, Lord, we are, uh, it seems, not that far from being on a prayer list for someone else. Lord, we thank you for the pure, pure word that you've given us. Lord, And we thank you and we ask you that you would open our hearts as we look into your scriptures. Amen. As, uh, you know, as you go through your scriptures and your Bible and you're reading through, uh, if you're like me, you'll have a Bible where you highlight different passages. You know, if I were to survey people, I would be, uh, you know, wondering if a lot of people would like to highlight the, the, the passages where it talks about correction and repentance you know, from, from a believer's perspective. Most people look for the happy-go-lucky stuff, and they don't like to highlight the stuff that we need to work on. Um, Book of Romans. I don't know about you, but I, I, it's like, it seems like the whole book is highlighted. You know, it's just like this neon yellow. <clears throat> and Paul, uh, no doubt, was the uh, kind of person that loved uh, to be with God all the time. He was the kind of guy that would move forward for God and he would let the Lord lead his steps. And God had often orchestrated meetings between Paul and and those that were seeking the truth. See, when someone is seeking the truth, God will orchestrate things in their lives to get them to a place where they can meet him. I remember back to when I was uh, seeking after God. I didn't have to seek him with my whole heart even in, in the beginning. I just had to be sincere and want to know the truth. And I was looking in the wrong side of town, going to these different churches, and it's almost like he's got this sense of humor. So he sends somebody from a church from the other side of town, actually came and knocking at our door, inviting us out to church. So God has this way of orchestrating things. So when people say, and I used to say this so I can attest to this, I used to say, oh, I've looked for God, I haven't found him anywhere. Because I thought it was cool to say that. But when you're truly seeking after God, you can't help but find him. And so when Paul's going around and he's meeting uh, people for the first time, including uh, those that would become the church at Corinth, he would always 
uh, one of the things that he would always win them over was with the simplicity of the gospel. And by the way, when you have found everlasting life, that simplicity of the gospel, that message actually delivered with a lot of enthusiasm. It's not some ho-hum kind of message. Now, prior to his conversion, though, Paul was a master theologian. He was schooled in the scriptures and the oral traditions by the leading authority of his day. He was the kind of guy that could split a theological hair 18 different ways. Yet he was as lost as the heathens were. The only difference that is that he lived a moral life and they didn't. He was a religious person and they were not. The end result, though, is regardless of what their pedigree was, they were both going to end up in hell. But upon his conversion, he was given a new heart, but not just a new heart. He was also given a new mind. So he believed things and he understood things that he didn't believe even when he was a master theologian. And this new heart was very important because it also included a change in his attitude. And now hopefully uh, he understood, uh, uh, I should say not hopefully, but now he understood the difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God and how they were in opposites. He noted that when people elevated themselves, uh, being of a higher intellect than others that, uh, or in biblical spiritual matters, that they were indeed ignorant of the truth and the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was saying this because he knew how he was in the past. He knew a lot of information, but he was ignorant of the gospel. And so it is in this letter, he doesn't come to the Corinthians as a master theologian. He doesn't try to convince them with his ability to reason and out of them. Instead, he uses the mind of Christ and he dispenses godly wisdom. Second Corinthians chapter two, we're going to begin in verse one. But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, Not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. I think most would agree that there's this indescribable joy uh, when you get to see a newborn baby. Uh, On a side note, I don't understand how uh, someone can remain a skeptic if after they've thought through the entire process, and then they've actually seen a child being born, seeing it with their own eyes, you know, this miracle happening before them, how can you remain a skeptic? Anyway, there's this uh, indescribable joy when you get to see a newborn baby. You love them, yet you, you just met this child, and you love them. And you become very protective. There's this little bundle of, you know, cutie, cutie pie innocence in them as much as they're not really innocent, right? Uh, And you love them. And as they begin to grow, you continue to love them and you demonstrate that love to them by correcting them as it is needed in order to protect them and to guide them. 
See, we hear the word protect, uh, correction, and we automatically assume it's a whip, right? We don't raise our kids with whips. We correct them. But as they grow and then they mature, typically corrections are usually needed fewer times. I still need corrections as an adult. My wife has to correct me sometimes. Okay? But typically children, as they grow, they don't need to be corrected as often. Sometimes you'll let the little things slide. But you still try to correct the big things because you know that as they get older, they're set in their ways. So you want to try to tackle these things before they get to that point. When the boys were little, they would be fascinated with the typical things. You know the door stoppers, the springs? They would play with that all the time. You know, shoes with laces. That was another one. Any kid here? Sockets. Wall sockets? So what I would do is I would let them play with it until they get zapped. I'm just kidding. I would never do that. (laughs) You're going to learn your lesson. (laughs) But every time they would go and touch it, you know, we would use our soft voice. You know, oh, don't do that. That's not good. And then you pull them away. And then it's almost like in their head, they're thinking to themselves, you know, okay, maybe I'm not supposed to touch with the finger. So then we get their little swiss or something or like a little teddy bear and try to push it with that. And then we use our soft voice again. Hey, hey, no, no, don't want to do that. So you can pull them away, right? And then after a while, it's almost like they're, they're thinking, thinking through things through and they're learning their boundaries as you're taking them away from these things. And then all of a sudden, they, they, they go up a notch. They go from learning to testing, right? And then you see this little baby that could hardly crawl on the ground, and he's trying to figure things out. He's looking, okay, I need to find something small enough to fit in the hole in that socket, you know? And then, but by that time, we see that there's a potential danger. So instead of using that soft voice again, now we're using a firm say, no, right? So that's how it is. Sometimes we need a soft reminder, but sometimes it needs to be a bit more firm. And as children grow, they begin to have a base of understanding because of those corrections, and then they eventually need fewer corrections. But there should come a point in time when a person is able to make proper decisions without the assistance of their parents. It's no different than when we are born into the family of God. You know, when we are first regenerated by the Spirit, we are like babes in Christ. We're like a little baby that's just learning to move. You begin by dragging yourself around, rolling on the floor, getting to the things. You're trying to reach out to things that, uh, you know, you just want to touch and feel how little babies are, right? They'll spend hours exploring every inch of a room. At this point, they'll even find things that you haven't noticed in a while, things that you've neglected, like, say, sweeping underneath the sofa. They'll go crawl underneath there, and all of a sudden they come out, and you got dust bunnies. Like, whoa, where did that come from? You know, they'll start shuffling around and find things like shiny little coins under a cupboard. And they can do these things because they see it from a different vantage point. Kind of like new Christians. They're fresh. Then they get up on all fours eventually. They start rocking a little bit back and forth, getting some momentum, right? And before you know it, they're crawling around and uh, they're they're practicing some more. And before you know it, they're like scurrying like the little heat-seeking missile towards the little items they want to grab. Just like little baby Christians, right? They're like, hey, what's this? Oh, what's that? You know? Just taking everything in. And God the Father, as well as our brothers and sisters in Christ, are guiding and protecting our growth. They want to make sure that there's a little correction here, a little correction there. They want to make sure that we don't get caught up in something that's ungodly. 
whether it be a false doctrine or going down a path that is just not godly at all. You want to make sure that we stay on track. And as babes in Christ, there's also this progression of growth. And we should have a desire to eventually stand and walk with God. And as we walk with him, he corrects us as we are needed to be corrected. And as time goes on, children become teens, right? And then teens become adults. And it seems the older we get, the more difficult it can be to be taking a correction. It ultimately comes down to our attitude. Are we teachable? Are we humble or proud? And I'll just go on a little side note. I've been teaching the motorcycle course for a while. The first year, every week, I would have a person that was a know-it-all. Couldn't be taught. And they would ruin the class for pretty much everyone. So I was like, God, how do I resolve this? So I was like, oh. I put a verse, a quiz, pop quiz, first question I put up, pop quiz, who's the wisest person that's ever lived? In six, sum, in six summers, I've had three people guess it. One was a Christian. The other one was from a cult, because then they argued the fact that, well, not correct, whatever. And then a person was just happened to be knowledgeable on historical information. The answer, by the way, is Solomon. And one person said, well, wouldn't it be Jesus? I said, ah, good point. Jesus wasn't a man, though, right? But since I started putting that up, people noticed, hmm, I'm not wiser than Solomon. Because I tell them straight up why I'm putting it up there, because I tell them I don't want any know-it-alls in here, right? You have to be teachable. So all of a sudden, the class changes. Instead of having a know-it-all, everybody was teachable, because they don't want to be known as the person that can't be taught, So as we get older, we don't want to be the person that can't be taught. It's kind of like when the dust bunnies are from coming out from underneath the sofa. You know, the light is shining and then all of a sudden you see the dust bunnies. Well, that's the same thing with the word of God. The word of God shines a light on our sin and it needs to be cleansed. And we should humbly and quickly do so. Verse six. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many, so that contrary arise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him, for that this end also did I write that I might have, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. So when Paul had previously commanded them to put something, someone out of the church in the first letter. He was addressing a few things. He included uh, fornication on the part of the person, but also a lack of correction on the part of the elders. The first thing Paul addresses was the fact that someone was in a visible fornicating relationship. And you know what? Fornication, uh, before the act is committed... It starts with somebody looking in the wrong direction. Think back to, um, oh, I forget his name, slipped my mind, muscle guy, not Zach. Samson, yeah. Samson, it started off with him looking in the wrong direction. He didn't just jump off a cliff one day. And then all of a sudden your imagination starts to lead you down this, this filthy path and instead of confessing it and forsaking it, What begins with a temptation, it now is left unchecked 
and hurriedly it moves into this impure thought and it comes up with these desires that culminate in this vile act. But it started with looking in the wrong direction. To take it up a notch, he addresses the type of fornication. He says this is something that's not even done outside the church, man. He says they won't even do it out there. You don't, you don't just fall into this kind of sin. You, you, it's something that's been brewing from an abnormal fixation. With that being said, fornicating is both physical and spiritual. The Word of God speaks of this. It refers to people committing spiritual fornication with the things of this world, as well as with false gods. Think of how many people within the churches are committing spiritual fornication at this time. Some create a God in their mind that is okay with sin. Oh, my God is okay with that. You know, just name your poison and just put it on that list. They've created a God that doesn't judge. A God that doesn't hate sin, a God that is void of wrath. And they will trust in people's opinions and they will do anything that goes against the very word of God, but they will not believe God or his scriptures. The second thing that Paul addresses was the people that should have corrected this situation didn't. He now needed to correct the whole lot of them because of their inaction. Paul had to write to the elders and get them to understand their mandate. Maybe they were you know, trying to demonstrate love towards this person. Maybe uh, they didn't want to push them away. There are many reasons why they may not have addressed it when they should have. But when Paul addressed the situation with them and he declared unto them what should have been done, they did exactly what Paul commanded them to do. And they did it quick. And as difficult as it may have been to do so, they put that person out of the church. This person had many opportunities to repent. Every minute of every day is an opportunity to repent. Their conscience, could you imagine their conscience must have been blazing. He was telling them that what they were doing was wrong. And when he was finally confronted, he could have acknowledged his sin before God and men, just like King David did when David was caught. And was called out for doing what he did. He cried out to God against you and you only have I done this wicked and evil thing. They needed to put this person out because he was rebelling against the word of God. And it's difficult because no one should enjoy doing such a thing. There's no pleasure in putting someone out because they've rebelled. But ultimately it's for their own good. Just like a child, right? If I were to let my kids play with that plug-in, what kind of a father would I be? I had to correct them. And now, today, they don't go around sticking their fingers in sockets. You know, the church needed to grow as well during this time. They needed to grow in discernment and in understanding. So there was growth on the part of the person that committed the fornication, but there was also growth on the part of the church and the leaders and all the members of it. And the person that was in this transgression, they needed to know that God was not okay with what they had done. This was to be a means to get him to see the errors and actually turn back to Christ. That was the entire point of this. It's like when we're correcting our children. We're not correcting them so that they'll leave. We're correcting them so that they'll get closer to us, not further. 
He was to be put out of the church until he realized that error and he could confess his sin and return to Jesus. Because when someone turns away from their sin and then they come back to Christ, they once again have fellowship with God. I love my kids, but if they do something incorrect, our fellowship is broken. I won't be all happy-go-lucky with them until they correct what needs to be corrected. Then it's back to normal, just like that. I don't make him do penance. No, I just, you just got to fix the problem and confess it. And that was the goal. They had to make sure that this person now that fell out of fellowship with God could be made right. And praise God because the person that was involved in the fornicating relationship eventually wakes up from this, this slumber and they actually repent and then they wanted to have this reconciliation with his brothers and sisters in Christ. But what ended up happening, which is where we're getting to here, is the church was not ready to accept him with open arms. And they didn't have that forgiving spirit that they so needed. And so the person had come back, but they were not incorporated back into the church. And Paul was right to be concerned because this repentant person was eaten up with sorrow. They had a broken and a contrite spirit. And it's a wonderful picture of what a lost person coming to faith in Christ is. It seems that the church had to be corrected in their understanding because the church is supposed to be a picture of Jesus Christ. And how could the world see a picture of Jesus if they aren't willing to forgive the person after they had repented of their sin and turned back to Christ? They were missing that ingredient from the leaders themselves were not growing in the knowledge and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were not offering forgiveness and reconciliation towards a fallen brother and not forgiving someone. I don't want that to be confused with you know, putting yourself in a position of someone hurting you over and over again. That's something very different. Okay, Forgiving somebody is not the same thing. But this is not what was happening here. You know, they may not realize the, uh, or, uh, the implications, but uh, either way, they should have been studying the Word of God and applying biblical principles in their lives. You know, um, I've noticed that when someone upsets a child, the child is quite quick to forgive the person. But as people get older, we can drag it on for a long time. I think it's due in part to the fact that, you know, how time is relative to how old you are. You know, when you were a kid, summer seems to last forever. I love those days. Now I blink my eyes and what? It's fall? Like what's going on? Right? So I think that's part of it. But it's, it still needs to be taken care of quickly. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So it's like we're walking down this path at night with a light, but the light can only shine so far. So if we want to see what's up ahead, we actually have to walk in faith and do what, uh, where the light leads us, go where the light leads us. And from there, we could see what's going up ahead. And that's where they were at in the church. They, if they wanted to continue to grow in faith, they had to tackle what needed to be tackled at that time. Verse 10. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sake forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are, we are not ignorant of his devices. That's a tongue twister right there. Paul reminds us to be quick to obey the word of God. Whether or not it's popular is not the concern. 
We have to be quick to obey it. We are to judge righteous judgment. A lot of people misquote, oh, judge not lest ye be judged. I heard somebody well, say, uh, twist not scripture lest ye be like Satan. You know, so that's a good one there. Um, you know, we are to purge the leaven out of the loaf. We are to stand firmly on the word of God while we also exemplify loving kindness as our Father in Heaven has demonstrated towards us. And Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, continues in his discourse and he reminds us that Satan is looking for opportunities to ruin the church. You know, people often think of Satan as being uh, near equal in power to God himself. You know, they'll give him, they'll assign him the abilities of, uh, uh, like he's omnipresent, omniscient, uh, omnipotent. He's none of those things. Paul describes Satan as having many devices. It's akin to, you know, a hunter manipulating the prey in order to get them to go into this desired location because that's where the trap has been set. And just as a hunter has different tools, whether it's uh, hooks, snares, box traps, whatnot, okay, Satan has a variety of traps for different people. They can trigger lust, pride, disbelief, so on, so on. He knows exactly what your card is. And if you don't realize that Satan and his minions are trying to trip us up into some form of sin, then there's a strong possibility that we are already caught up in something that and we don't even realize it now to prevent such a thing from happening we simply need to come before god we need to spend some time real one-on-one time with the author of the word himself we ask him to open our eyes to the truth of his word and then we need to apply what we read to our lives as we continue to walk with them, just like a child holding the Father's hand. Because when we're walking with God and we are turning to Him and into His Word and we're tuned into Him, uh, it's much more difficult, if not impossible, for Satan and his demons to trap us up in some kind of uh, trap. Because otherwise they're going to try to trap us and make us useless for the cause of Christ. I would even dare to say that uh, when we fall, we're not just uh, useless to the cause, but we are actually helping the enemy tarnish the name of the Savior. Verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus, my brother, But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Again, Paul, always wanting to be used of God, was continually moving in the direction that the Lord would lead him. You know, he he didn't believe in coincidences. He knew that if it was meant to be, he would be in a certain city. He would be there for a certain time, for a certain purpose, and that was that. There was no coincidence. And what a refreshing way to look at life, that nothing is a coincidence. Nothing is happenstance. This outlook was due uh, to the time that he spent with God. When you're talking to people and they, and they, they, they don't have that, that assurance, it's, it's kind of sad. As he made tense, he was spending time with God. 
As he walked, he was spending time with God. As he languished in prisons, he was spending time with God. And it didn't matter if he was in prison or in Troas or in Corinth, he used the same message. That Jesus Christ is the Savior and that through him you can have everlasting life. Even, the, even though the Corinthians, like as he's writing to them and he's mentioning these people here, even though these Corinthians had never met these uh, believers that he had talked about so far, they already had this connection with them. You know, different places, different people, but all united by one truth and in one name. But with all this moving about, it's to be expected that uh, you would begin to miss people. You know, in many of his letters, Paul would mention people by name. And in this one, he, he mentions uh, Titus. And these believers were near and dear to him. You could probably think of a bunch of people you've came into contact with throughout your life that were believers. And I, I think of some, it's like, I met them for, like, one day I met them. Like, years ago. And I miss them. That's, you know, that's something that's a gift from God. And Paul had a desire to find Titus. He was hoping to see him in Troas, but alas, he wasn't there. So after spending some time there, he moves on to uh, Macedonia, where he follows the same pattern. He goes in and he preaches the truth. Let's move on to verse 14. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish to the one we are the savor of, of death unto death and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? Notice how a person wins the battle. It's not in self. The Bible says that we are triumphant in Christ. That's where that sweet savor comes from. I can't generate that from myself. And those that are triumphant can't help but exude the characteristics of Jesus himself. You know, you're going to overflow with joy. It's hard to find Christians that are not overflowing with joy. Even in the hardest of times, there's still joy there. They'll have love not the love that the world has, but this love that doesn't require anything in return. They'll have a kindness and patience, gratitude. I mean, grateful for everything. Even the hard times. Because we know that those hard times, they draw us closer to God. And then they have this supernatural way of to be able to forgive people because Christ has also forgiven us. You know, you won't be able to keep Jesus to yourself, which is also well-pleasing to God. And you may be the closest semblance, semblance, I'm French, semblance, uh, to Christ that most people will ever get to meet. You know, they may turn their lives to Christ because of what you had to say. Or they may choose to despise the truth. That's out of your control. But in all occasions, whether it was in or out of style, Jesus spoke the truth. He said of himself, he said, I am the way. Not one of several ways. He said, I am the truth. 
Not my truth. Not your truth. His truth. He said, I am the life. Not just in this moment in time, but it's eternal life for those that trust in him. We'll come to the last verse here, verse 17. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God. In the sight of God speak we in Christ. According to Paul, many of the people were giving a watered-down version of the gospel. They were like hucksters, right? They were were not godly people. These preachers were uh, professing uh, to be Christians, yet they didn't proclaim the entirety of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For whatever reason, they weren't clearly disclosing the entire truth. Paul describes their methods the same way he describes the methods of Satan. Not a good category to be in. He says that they go out of their way to corrupt the word of God. These people know that what they are doing is wrong because their conscience bears witness. See, our conscience is a gift from God. And when we do something wrong, I don't need my parents to tell me I'm doing something wrong. My conscience is bearing witness. And yet they purposely Massage the text. They leave out key parts of the testimony in order to make it more palatable to the hearers, in order to get something out of the hearers. Remember how Jesus said, freely I have given it to you, freely you give it back? Well, that's not what their motivation was. And thus, what they do is they actually render the most powerful message ever known to man, to some uh, impotent, tailored uh, message to tickle the ears of his hearers. It no longer contains the life-saving details that the hearer needs to know in order to make an educated decision. Now, the result is that they have eternal consequences for both the person speaking as well as the person that fails to turn their life to Christ in faith. Paul, on the other hand, was very transparent when he proclaimed the gospel because he knew that the main person in his audience that he was speaking in front of was God himself. And so he wanted to live a clean life, and Paul was a very clean person. His hands were clean, his feet were clean, uh, his mouth was clean, his head was clean, from a spiritual perspective, obviously, I'm talking here. Um, Think about the, how as a people and how they've been uh, during this COVID uh, crisis here. Okay? We pay so much more attention now to the things that we're doing. You know, we sanitize our hands every time we touch a doorknob, every time we touch a grocery cart. We won't even you know, touch uh, most things anymore. You know? Every time we enter a building, we sanitize. Common things all the time. We wear masks to prevent us from being infected, but also to prevent uh, something from coming out of our mouths to possibly infect other people. People are taking vitamins and eating healthier in order to strengthen their immune system. People's lives have been drastically altered by fear. Imagine how the churches would be if the people of God would commit to keeping our hands, our feet, our eyes, our minds, and our hearts that clean? What if we fed ourselves daily with the word of God? 
What if we cut out all the processed stuff and all the junk food? Many people, especially over the the last uh, little while here, they've been crippled by fear. I think if more people would get on their face before God, that the fear of man and the fear of death would no longer have such a tight grip on them. You'll either fear God and nothing else, or you'll fear anything. Well, after Paul came face to face with Christ on the road and he surrendered his life over to God, I think it's safe to say that he had received a healthy fear of God because he had no longer any fear of man. And that was the difference between false teachers and Paul. He had met God. They didn't. And they had no fear of consequences because there was no fear of God in them. And as Christians, we are called to be mindful of that and to go back to that time when we came face to face with God, when it caused within us a fear of eternal consequences and punishment and caused us to turn to God. And that's his calling for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for loving us, for providing uh, the way of salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, we pray that uh, your word would be, uh, that it would bind itself to our hearts and to our minds, that uh, we would be mindful to keep ourselves spiritually clean as well, as Paul did. Father, that we would speak the truth in love, whether it be in season or out of season. And Lord, I pray for uh, any person here that may not know you yet, maybe They aren't sure where eternity lies, Lord, but we pray that today would be their day of salvation. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.